Welcome to the Stay Tuned with the Chlorine Institute podcast. The Chlorine Institute, also referred to as CI, is a chemical trade association based in Arlington, Virginia, that focuses on advancing safety in the chloroalkali industry. In this podcast, we will dive into the topic of safety as it relates to this industry. Dr. Gopesh Anand is an associate professor of business administration and the William N. Sheffield Faculty Fellow at the University of Illinois Geese College of Business. His research examines how firms manage the quality of their products through process control and improvement and incorporates elements of standardized work practices, transformation leadership, employee engagement, and outsourcing. Dr. Anand has an MBA and a PhD from The Ohio State University. Since joining Geese in 2006, he has taught several courses in operations and supply chain management to a variety of learners, ranging from undergraduates to executives. My name is Robin Brooks, and I'm so happy to, to welcome you, Dr. Anand, to our podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank and you so much, Robin. It's my pleasure. Yes, yes. Uh, we, I was privileged to watch your presentation during a recent annual meeting on psychological safety. And I thought it was a very interesting topic, but just in case some listeners are unfamiliar with that concept, could you give us a short overview as to what is psychological safety? So uh, psychological safety is a construct uh, in organizational behavior that has been around for some time um, and it has morphed over the years. The main idea is that uh, it is uh, making people feel uh, free to speak their mind. Uh, just to paraphrase the definition, I'm not giving you the formal definition here, but uh, just in terms of uh, them being able to speak without fear of any kind of uh, retribution, um, any kind of judgment um, on what they're saying, as long as uh, uh, they can say um, they can say something about. Uh, the context in which they are in, about the uh, the knowledge that they have about it, uh, without fearing any kind of judgment from uh, anybody else around them, like their team members, their leaders, their subordinates, and so on and so forth. Okay. And so how does psychological safety improve the workplace, whether it's efficiency, safety? Where, where does having a culture that has high psychological safety levels of it, how does that improve the work culture? So um, I like to think about psychological safety as being important in, um, in, in two main um, contexts. One is in the context of uh, errors and mistakes. Um, and I include within errors and mistakes near misses. So if there is uh, something that is happening in a work process uh, where somebody notices that uh, there is about to be an error, um, they should be able to speak up and say, okay, we need to stop here, or we need to check this, or we need to go back and look at this because I feel like we, we missed a step or uh, we needed to do something differently. So that's where I feel uh, that's one of the buckets that I'm focusing on is errors. Um, and there I feel like it's important because you want there to be an error correction right at the moment. You wanna take care of the problem right there. Uh, and then you also want to go back and revisit that. So psychological safety becomes important there, uh, not only in terms of preventing the error from occurring, not only from 
mitigating any problems that are happening because of the error, but also because you want to go back and do a root cause analysis and figure out why did that happen? Or can we prevent that from happening in the future? So that's the one um, aspect that I think psychological safety is important in the workplace. The other aspect uh, in which it is more important, it, it is also important in the workplace is that of day-to-day uh, -day work. And uh, I also include within that um, improving ways of doing day-to-day -day work. So there I think of not just errors, but also how are we doing what we are doing and can we do it better? Right. So is there a better way of uh, having, and this could be not just physical tasks or explicit tasks. It could be tasks where we're talking about information being relayed from you know, one department to another. How are we doing it? Is, it, uh, is there a better way of doing it? Uh, so that's, that's the other place where I feel like uh, psychological safety is important. So one bucket is errors and the other is day-to-day -day work. So that sounds, uh, when you're talking about day-to-day -day work, in your, in your presentation you talked a little bit about organizational learning. So how can employers make organizational learning more enticing? And, and I'm also thinking about it in terms of rate of change. The rate of change in the workplace gets faster and faster <laughs> the more we march into the future. And so how does psychological safety help, organiz help organizational learning? Yeah, so Robin, you, you bring up a good point here about things are changing and they're changing at a much faster pace and in a much more comprehensive way all simultaneously nowadays. Um, and products and processes are more complex. So there's a lot of change happening. There are a lot of sources of that change and it's happening at a fast pace. So this is where I've, my belief is that psychological safety becomes all the more important. Uh, because we don't, we cannot have uh, a one-size-fits-all uh, that is catered for every possible contingency, every possible situation. Uh, so we need to have a, uh, we need to give the people who are working in those work processes some flexibility. Mm -hmm. right? So, so there is rarely a situation where we can see. Uh, that there's going to be, okay, we, we, we have a playbook and this is exactly what we do and this is what we do every time. Uh, it's, it's always going to be, we do this, we're checking for these things and then depending on how things turn out, we might have to change, right? So, so I think, um, and I'll, I'll come back to this and, and talk about what I'm not saying. So I'll, I'll also clarify what I'm not saying here. But uh, Coming back to your question in terms of change and reacting to change, uh, when you do have psychological safety in the environment, there will be people who will be willing to make that adjustment, willing to make that shift to when a situation changed, right? So uh, there's this example that I always uh, uh, like to bring up, which is that when a, uh, somebody who's cleaning the room in a hospital enters that room uh, and uh, there's a, the patient uh, is, is fast asleep and, and the person doesn't want to disturb them, should that person stick to the rules that they've been given that you have to go from left to right and finish all the rooms or should that person walk away with some kind of um, a marker that makes sure that the person comes back to that room and cleans it. Now, that's where you need a little bit of judgment to come in. If you're going to make very strict rules about a simple thing like that, 
you are obviously taking care of the job at hand, but you are neglecting the customer, in this case, the patient and their comfort. So coming back to, to the idea of uh, uh, change and, and needing to flex to anything that is different in the environment than what you were trained for, psychological safety becomes important for that person to have the confidence to be able to say, okay, I should be able to flex this to a little bit. Now, how can that happen? How can we make sure that that happens? Uh, we can make sure that that happens when the employee who's doing the work not only knows the, um, the tasks that they're being trained for, but the intent behind those, right? So the idea of why am I doing this? Why is this important to the, to, uh, the, the patient, uh, to the organization? So I'm balancing the safety of, of cleaning up the room versus the comfort for this patient, um, balancing those two things. So that is something that we have to, to trust that employees are, um, can comprehend that, can understand that. We have to say that they do have the, the ability to understand that. And we shouldn't just say, we're gonna make black and white rules and just give it to them and they should follow. Um, that, that is not the way we should be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So that's to say what needs to be done in terms of flexibility. Uh, this also helps when you're talking about flexibility in terms of innovating with products, right? When you're talking not just in terms of flexing to the needs of a particular customer, but in terms of coming up with innovation, um, innovations for new products and new processes. So it also helps with that. Now, let me come back to the point that I said earlier that what am I not saying? I'm not saying that we do away with standardized processes. I'm not saying that we do away with any kind of standardization or processes, but you also have to combine um, the idea of discipline of those processes with the idea that you're going to trust the employee to use their judgment uh, and, and be transparent with it. I, I think that's also important, right? Use your judgment in flexing the process, but be transparent with it which means maybe report what they had to do as being something different. And mm -hmm. maybe that might lead to an improvement idea as to how we should schedule cleaning of rooms, for example, right? So that's something that uh, we can have by trusting employees with what they're doing and trusting them with giving them the knowledge of why they have to do things a certain way rather than just telling them, do it this way. Hmm. Okay. So as you were talking about, I had thought about a few things in terms of the traits of a, of a leader or a leadership team that might foster psychological safety. You talked about uh, trust. And in the beginning, when you were talking about people having the space to, uh, to ask questions or say, hey, did we miss a step? So offering the space that, that, that you need in order to, to foster this, what other traits of a leader might you need in order to foster a, cult a culture that's high in psychological safety? Yeah, th that's a great question because um, when, um, let me talk about the opposite perspective of when we don't have a leadership style uh, that leads to lack of psychological safety. Uh, so there's this example of that uh, I believe it, it was Malcolm Gladwell that brought this up in, in uh, one of his books where he talks about um, Korean uh, 
airplane pilots and co-pilot pairs and, and how uh, when the co-pilot, because the co-pilot feels that they are, um, they have a superior in the pilot that they don't really point to a, a, um, an impending error that's going to lead to a plane crash because they feel like, well, it's my superior. How can I say something like that? So what does the leader, I mean, and it's not the leader's fault, right? It's just that there is that power imbalance and that's there more in certain cultures than in others. That's there more in certain situations than in others. So what can the leader do? The leader has to recognize that there is going to be this and try to make sure that we, as a leader, that leader breaks that power imbalance, that compensates for the power imbalance by by engaging with the employees, uh, by engaging with the subordinates, by uh, showing true humility. Now, uh, here again, I'll, I'll bring up uh, a quote that I find funny, and I heard this in a presentation, so I don't know who to attribute it to, but um, it, it basically said, there are people who say, um, there are leaders who like to say, there's nobody as humble as I am. Right. Now you see the irony in that statement, right? And, and so that's why I have to say true humility. True humility is uh, being, uh, showing the vulnerabilities as a leader, uh, showing that I'm not perfect, I can make mistakes. Uh, and again, that does not mean that the leader should not feel in terms of knowledge and experience superior, but also should be willing to accept should be, I shouldn't even say willing to accept, they should be inviting all kinds of uh, uh, comments and, and questions um, and suggestions from subordinates. So that's a culture, uh, I mean, uh, humble leadership is, is, a, is, is a catch all term that we use nowadays. And, and what is humble leadership? It is being able, uh, is encouraging the employees, not just saying I allow them to, but encouraging them from time to time by saying, so what do you think about this? And, and asking the right questions instead of trying to give answers, asking the questions in terms of, uh, and asking the questions at the right times. So what do you think we should be doing? Uh, did we do that right, even after the situation? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that, those are some great examples, asking the right questions. Do you have any other examples of how you've seen this humble leadership, which in turn fosters the psychological safety, what leaders have done? Yeah, I mean, uh, so looking at it from a, um, a high level CEO perspective, uh, there's, there's one example that comes to mind, uh, which is Starbucks. And, and Starbucks is, is, is a good example because this has happened with Starbucks twice. Uh, one was, I think it was around uh, 2008 uh, when Howard Schultz was coming back to Starbucks and uh, he um, admitted that, that the coffee shops were, were not um, what they were designed to be. They were not achieving the goal of what they were designed to be. And admitting that mistake, he decided that he was going to order all of the stores to be shut down for all the baristas to be trained. So closing down all the stores all over the world and getting the baristas to be trained. And it was at that point in time mocked by a lot of other people saying that, what is, why do they need to be trained for, I don't remember if it was half a day or a full day. Why do, why, do, why do they need training in order for them to just press a button to make coffee, right? I mean, that, and, 
And, and obviously he knew more than that because you can see what Starbucks is today and, and how they bounced back from a time when uh, they were in a situation where their stock price had declined, their, their sales were down and all of those types of things to where they are today. Uh, and just to give you a second example from Starbucks, uh, I, this was about, I think about two years ago uh, when they had a, uh, a situation where there were, uh, where two African-American gentlemen waiting in the Starbucks coffee shop were reported on and that created a big um, uh, incident. And, and that's again, a situation where uh, he, uh, Howard Schultz and Kevin Johnson, the CEO, they admitted to the mistake. They said, yes, we were wrong. This is a weakness that we have. So, so the leader right at the top showing vulnerability and showing the idea, uh, showing that they're willing to, to accept when there is a mistake and, and saying that, okay, we're, we're going to take care of this. And once again, they closed down the stores for half a day, had um, training for all of their employees, racial bias training, so that they said, we don't want this to be repeated, right? So first of all, they took care of the problem. It was Kevin Johnson, the, the CEO, spoke to those uh, two gentlemen who had been affected by this, impacted by this. And then they went back and they made this change to make sure that there was, uh, this was something that they were not going to repeat. So this just shows to their employees that when they say something, they mean it, they're willing to admit their mistakes, they're not blaming the employees. I mean, they could have easily just fired the store manager, so on and so forth. And they didn't do that. They said, no, this is on us. This is how we've trained our people. We're going to look inward and we're going to figure out what to do with this. And then we're going to make a correction. And think about the customers, right? I mean, this is not just making an impact on employees and telling them how they should behave. But this also shows to customers that a company who um, who is, is willing to accept when they do uh, have a mistake and is, is, is willing to help their employees get better uh, is, is a company that cares about people. So, so I think that, I believe that's a great example of, of uh, it coming from the top in terms of creating psychological safety uh, for their frontline employees. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great example. And a, another theme that I got from that was how mistakes are treated and how are mistakes best used as, as a learning tool. I think that's a beautiful example that you just showed, but especially when there, maybe there's a mistake, maybe by a newer or lower level employee that's, that's made in order to maintain a high level of, of psychological safety there, that mistake might've cost time, money, maybe, maybe even led to an injury. So for, for leaders, how, what's the best way for them to react as mistakes happen? Um, so if you're asking what's the, what's the best way for leaders to react, um, if that's what you're asking, then, then that what they should be doing is that uh, they should be, uh, I mean, first of all, not just blaming the person, right? I mean, and, and uh, depending on the situation, the first thing is to take care of, of what the problem is, right? Mm -hmm. Take care, uh, and, and I, I, I shouldn't say put a Band-Aid solution, but, but sometimes you need to put that bandage, right? Make sure that the bleeding is stopping and everything and so on and so forth. So, so take care of the problem at hand uh, and then not blame the employee, but go back and, and do the analysis of why that happened. And these, this idea is, is 
is very much part of the, the quality management movement. So if you think about psychological safety, there are a lot of connections to the teachings that we've had from Edward Deming, who wrote about total quality management and who gave us the ideas not only of uh, statistical process control, so very much a process control kind of idea dealing with numbers and dealing with data, but also within his 14 points of management, Deming's 14 points of management, which I would encourage everyone to read. Um, if you don't have time to read the book, you can just find them on, online in terms of Deming's 14 points. So coming back to the point of what I'm trying to make here, he not only talks about that from the point of view of data and data analysis, but also from the point of view of uh, making employees feel safe to speak up. And that's, again, the idea of psychological safety. So he's talking about making employees feel that safety, um, having transparency. That's the other thing that he adds to the mix is, is making sure that you uh, deal with your what you expect from your employees, you uh, deal with your day-to-day -day work the same way. You don't have um, uh, schedules that are hidden. You have metrics that are openly talked about rather than being hidden. And then you expect the same from your employees. Uh, so again, it goes back to the idea of when there is a mistake that somebody um, does make, uh, first of all, take care of the mistake and then go back and, and correct it. And then set an example of how you do this in your own day-to-day -day, uh, work life uh, in terms of transparency, in terms of being able to show when mistakes are made. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll add one more thing there, Robin. Mm -hmm. I think, um, and uh, I always end up bringing the Toyota production system into everything that I talk about. Uh, so that's, that's uh, um, I'm gonna bring that in here as well. And, and their idea is that we should create situations where mistakes get revealed, not hidden, right? So, so create um, a, a uh, opportunities for the mistakes to reveal themselves rather than get covered by extra slack, by extra of anything, right? So, so that would be something that leaders should, should encourage is the reporting of them and the emerging of the mistakes. It's, you know, all these things, as, as you're saying, are really coming together, making mistakes transparent. So then you can learn from them, which would increase organizational learning. And, and so this is, all flows together and it definitely has many, many benefits, safety, productivity and all. So this is all very interesting. Are there, is there anything that we miss that, that, that you might wanna share on this topic? Yeah, so um, uh, I would say that uh, in, in terms of uh, what we see uh, as becoming increasingly important nowadays in terms of uh, uh, diversity in terms of uh, justice, in terms of equity, and uh, what we see around us in social circles is, is also becoming more and more relevant when we're thinking about it in the work environment. And, and there are connections with psychological safety there as well, is that uh, companies need to be proactive uh, in all of these things as much as they need to be proactive in in uh, getting employees to, to speak up uh, when, they, when they see something that is an improvement opportunity. Uh, it's not just uh, in terms of uh, um, 
being the right thing to do from a popularity perspective, and, and that would be the cynical view is that they're doing it from the popularity perspective, but it, it's also important for them to do it from an economical perspective. Uh, these are the people who are in the front lines are your uh, are the people who know how to do the work the best, and and you can you can get their knowledge, you can use their knowledge in order to improve the work processes for the company, and it makes everybody uh, better off. Uh, so, so I think proactiveness from uh, the from from the top, from the superiors, from the supervisors, in terms of engaging the frontline employees, not just saying we have an atmosphere of where we let people talk, but encouraging people to talk and encouraging people to, to uh, give their ideas is very important. Wonderful. Well, I very much enjoyed this uh, chat. And um, I guess one other question that just popped to my mind, do you have an online presence, a Twitter handle or things like that where people can um, follow you and your work? Uh, so I don't have a Twitter handle. Um, I, I, uh, I do probably have it, but I've never used it. So <laughs> I did, uh, did one of those things that I subscribed to it, but I never started using it. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. Um, okay. And um, I'm active there in terms of I follow a lot of these things on LinkedIn. Uh, and again, there I'm a passive user. But my work, uh, you can find me on the Geese College uh, website. Okay. Um, and if you were to just look at Geese College and put in my name, uh, uh, there are not too many people with my first name. My last name is more common than my first name. So if you look for Gopesh and you look at Illinois and Geese, you're going to find me there. And uh, that website stays, uh, stays current. So you, you should be able to find the current information there. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you very much, Robin. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Stay Tuned with the Chlorine Institute. To find safety resources and information on CI, visit our website at www.chlorineinstitute.org. The comments, views, opinions, and recommendations expressed during this podcast are solely those of the guest speaker featured in this podcast. The Chlorine Institute, or CI, does not endorse, support, approve, recommend, or certify the comments of the guest speaker. Any third-party material or content referenced during the podcast does not necessarily reflect the policies or standards of the Chlorine Institute. CI assumes no liability or responsibility for the completeness and accuracy of the third-party content. Any views and opinions expressed by the CI staff are those of the employee and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Institute. The Chlorine Institute does not make any warranty that the podcast or server used to make the podcast accessible is free of viruses or other elements that may possess harmful or destructive properties. Any questions regarding this disclaimer should be directed to CI's communications coordinator, Raina Ely.